Hi, I'm Dr. Don Welch, licensed marriage and family therapist, and welcome to the My Therapist Says podcast, where I moderate discussions between various relationship experts from medical doctors to licensed mental health professionals to enrich relationship skills and communication. This podcast seeks to bring healing and hope to what matters most in our lives, our relationships. If you would like even more content or to speak with a therapist, you can visit us at www.enrichingrelationships.org. Thank you and enjoy. Glad to see you tonight at My Therapist Says. We are going on, my goodness, over 60 of these sessions. It's like having a therapist, a professional therapist in your living room and you're able to ask a question that you would choose to ask. So tonight I hope you're kind of getting your thoughts together, thinking about what question you would ask related to, if you think about this, this uh, title, Creating Soulmate Ties with Your Mate. A wonderful, wonderful topic for us. How can we become soulmates um, with our mates? And really some of the skills that we learn and maybe even enhance tonight should be useful in other relationships, how to relate in a very healthy way. That's uh, part of the idea and concept. So I'm so glad that you've made your way here tonight. And as we were praying and in preparation, we know that God wants to work His miracle in your life tonight. Whenever two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ, the miraculous always happens. Are we prepared to receive what God wants to give you tonight as we meet together? So thank you for being here tonight. If you have a three by five card, would you raise that in the air? I just want to remind you, thank you. If you have a question about the topic tonight at any time, in fact, right now, we have hosts that are ready to pick up your card. If you have a question, a question you would like us to respond to, please write that on your three by five card and just raise it in the air and we will come by and pick that up, and they will, when I say we, they will, and they'll bring it right to me up here as the moderator. I'm Pastor Don Welch, the counseling pastor here at Skyline, and uh, we have a wonderful ministry reaching out to many people in different ways related to mental health and how you can have healthy relationships. So if you would prepare for that at any time, if you would like to verbalize something, which, which means you would be talking to me or the panel members, if you would just raise your hand without a three by five card, we will come by and have a microphone ready for you to respond. Please know that we record this. We're always in process of downloading and, and eventually having some of the more recent ones available on our website. Since we made some major changes, we don't have all of the recent ones on our website ready to go, but we're in process, hopefully going to get that done in the very near future. So thank you for being here tonight. I'd like to have a word of prayer. And then I'll briefly introduce our panel members, and then we will be off and running into a delightful discussion, I hope, this evening, like it usually is, of talking about topics and issues that are pertinent and powerful in your life. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we, we know that where two or three are gathered, there's no doubt that you are work, working the remarkable. In mental health, Father, we are trying to understand how sometimes when your grace is available, it's so rich and full and free, and you are reaching out to us. How is it that sometimes we become defended and we do not absorb the grace that is so rich, so full, so free, and wants to be life-changing for the good? It could be that we have somehow become defended 
or we are using coping mechanisms that keep us from absorbing your grace. And we pray in the name of Jesus that this evening we would in a brand new way receive your great grace that is life-changing every day. Paul said in the New Testament that it is not only life-changing every day but every moment as we breathe in prayer and breathe out your grace into other persons and other people's lives. Thank you for your grace this evening. So bless us as we work together and may as we leave this session tonight, our lives would be changed and as we walk out these doors, we would be saying in unison, thanks be to God for his rich and marvelous and wonderful grace that has now enriched my life in a brand new way. We thank you for what you are wanting to accomplish, and we give you praise for what you will accomplish in this little over an hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, again, if you have a three-by-five card, if you would just with your question, raise that in the air. We're ready to select those, pick those up, and they'll be brought to me as the moderator this evening. I'm going to give a brief introduction. We now have our PowerPoint that is really large here. So, Kathy, we can see you. This is so great, isn't it? This is Kathy Getke, and many of you know Kathy and her family were at one time members of our church here. Many of you know her and her wonderful family. They have marvelous children. Many of you know them. So we're thankful to have Kathy back with us. She's going to be presenting. Uh, we're colleagues at the Center for Enriching Relationships, which is a nonprofit organization trying to help to support churches and other community uh, participants of our local community and the, the greater San Diego area. So, Kathy, thank you for being here this evening. Debbie Wagner is, is no new person with us this evening. Many of you have heard her present. She is uh, a very, very exquisite trauma specialist. There are many people who come to our events like this who are stuck somehow. They have something that's keeping them from opening up their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. She is trained with EMDR, which helps to, in many ways, unlock. She knows the specialty of this, and she'll be speaking to us in the next six months as a presenter. Uh, Debbie is a wonderful therapist, and we're so glad to have her with us this evening. Gary Cundiff is on his way. He just finished up a session that ran a little longer. Actually, he, he was going to run up to about 6.30 and make his way over here. So as he comes, he'll be escorted to this seat. Gary Cundiff has been with us before. Uh, this gentleman has a lot of humor with him and has overcome tremendous challenges from his childhood, which has led him into a very successful practice. I'm proud to be a colleague of his uh, at Family Consultation uh, Services, the other side of the Center for Enriching Relationships. So we have a grand panel here this evening. You need to know that not one of these therapists is paid for these events, and yet they come here. It's one way that I can invite them, suggesting that there might be someone in the audience who would say, you know, I, I feel comfortable with that person. It seems like I might be able to get some therapeutic help and you could meet them at the end of the session tonight in the very back and perhaps they might be of use to you as uh, a, a therapist in your life and perhaps in your family. So, without any further introduction, before Kathy comes though, do you have a three by five card? Anyone has written that, just raise that in the air and we'll pick those up. We will... So you're still thinking about it, thinking about that question as we work on soulmate uh, relationship here in marriage. All right, Kathy, thank you very much. She's going to begin presenting at this time. Good evening. Good evening. 
Okay, so creating soulmate ties with your mate. I am. Um, I was not quite sure what direction to go on this, and so I asked my husband. I said, "What do you think? You know, what do you think creating? How do you think you create a soulmate tie?" And he looked at me and he said, "Sex before dinner." <laughs> Okay, that's t food and sex. <laughs> I guess he, okay, we knew where he's coming from. Um, so what is it that people look for in a mate? I um, also was, was looking online and looking up soulmate things and just kind of checking it out and see what was out there. And it said, take this quiz and find out if you're with your soulmate. And I thought, awesome. So I went on. It was a kind of a short quiz and started going through it. And I'm thinking, oh, this is kind of cool. And when I got to the end, it said, not really, and maybe give it some more time. <laughs> and I thought, wow, 27 years and three adult children later, I think I have my soulmate. I'm pretty sure I do. So my, my suggestion is don't do any online t tests. Don't use that to gauge if you're with your soulmate or not. So. This next slide is um, a slide that I saw at a conference, and it says, perfect marriages exist only in heaven where nobody needs them. Can we relate to that? We don't need them in heaven, but we certainly need them here. Why is it that we look for a perfect mate? I mean, when you ask young people, what are you looking for? I have many clients, actually, that are kind of, you know, I haven't been able to find that perfect person. And I thought, well, that's part of the problem, because there is no perfect person person. Um, early in, in our marriage, we had gone to, we went to numerous marriage retreats, at least one a year for probably the first for 15 years we were married. And I'll never forget, um, one of the, the pastors that was speaking said, there's no such thing as a perfect mate. It's a perfect mix. And I thought, that's awesome. It's not a perfect match. That's not what we should be looking for. It's a mix. What do we both bring to the table? What do we both bring to the relationship that make it exciting and new. That's what we want to be looking for. Are we a good mix with each other? Um, a, a good um, quote of what is a soulmate tie is being transparent and healthily vulnerable to one's mate so that full and complete trust exists between that couple. That's a good quote. Being transparent and healthily vulnerable to one's mate so that full and complete trust exists between that couple. That's what we're talking about. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. How do we do that? How do we create an environment of being totally transparent and vulnerable, creating an environment of trust? And so what I'm going to do is just put out there some ideas that I have and um, open it up to discussion later on that we talk. So the first one that I have is actually the, the different ones is believing the best in each other, sharing a spiritual connection, pursuing a personal relationship with God, persevering through the storms, building life dreams together, and developing emotional intimacy and connection. That's what I'm looking at. So our first one is believing the best about each other. What does that say? It says, I'm trusting your motives. I'm not going to judge your motives. I'm going to trust your motives. It's having the mindset that says that I may not always understand what you do, but I'm going to trust in you. 
I remember my husband one time when we were done with an argument said, you know, the most hurtful thing that you do is when you judge my motives. When you say you knew, you intentionally did that, you don't care how I feel. And I really had to look at that and realize, you know, I, I was questioning his motives and really not knowing what they were, but out of my own anger, I was questioning what he was doing, and that was wrong on my part to do that. So one of the things we want to do in believing the best about each other is to not, not question or judge their motives, but trust their motives. It's also saying, I want the best for you. It's not necessarily about me. What do I want for my spouse? What's the best for them? And how can I help them to achieve that? Take some thought, but that's, that's one of the questions we need to look at. And if I'm helping to create an environment of mutual appreciation, affection, love, and respect, that's changing my thought process from looking for what my spouse is doing wrong and looking to see what my spouse is doing right. That's what that means. I'm looking, I'm not going to look at what my spouse is doing wrong. I'm going to look at what my spouse is doing right. It's changing that thought process. I remember we, we've been in our home now for 11 years since we left here. It's kind of hard to believe. But we've been there for 11 years. And about nine years ago, I bought outdoor lights for our backyard. Well, we still don't have outdoor lights for our backyard. For some reason, we don't have outdoor lights for our backyard. But you know what? For many, many years... I used to say, well, if he really loved me, he'd do the lights. I did that before we moved. If he really cared, he would do this for me. And I don't even know when it really happened, but all of a sudden I realized, you know what? Whether he puts the outside lights up or not has nothing to do with whether he loves me or not. He does lots of other things that say he loves me. Just hasn't put up the outdoor lights. I don't know why they're not up, but you know what? I don't care as much now because I don't equate it with whether he loves me or not. I know he loves me. I look for the things that tell me he loves me, not for the things that, for some reason, he hasn't done the lights. It's okay now. I'm not as concerned about it, honey. You're off the hook <laughs> for a little while. Um, and then also to view you as my best friend, partner, and ally, not the enemy. They're not our enemy. We want, we want them to know that they're our friend, that we're in this together. I had a client who recently said to me, she said, you know, I always thought my husband did the things that he did because he hated me. What a horrible thing to think. But that's really what she believed. And when she was able to change that thought process into, well, gosh, maybe the things that he's doing has some under, other underlying meaning Maybe there's a primary emotion that's tied to it, and he gets angry. When he was able to look at that a little differently, she realized, you know what? It's not because he hates me. And she's able to view him different. And their, their relationship's changing and growing. So the next one, how do we create soulmate ties, is sharing a spiritual connection. Seeking the Lord together. You know, you've, I'm, I'm sure most of you have seen the triangle you know, the Lord's at the top, and we're on one side, and our spouse is on the other. And as we draw closer to the Lord, we become closer to, to each other. Do you guys know how that works? And 
It's so true that when we are seeking the Lord together, we naturally are going to grow closer together through prayer. That's one way. By being in community with other believers, things that you're doing here, but also things that you, you know, I mean, it might be church, it might be some other activity that you're doing with other believers, just in communicating and enjoying that time in people that have a like mind, seeking God together, and then also serving together, whether it's volunteering, even at a community thing that's not in, in um, not directly related to church, but it might be a community activity where you're joining together and ministering maybe to the community or within the church, but having a like mind and, and having fun and serving the Lord together. Then leaning into the Lord. Leaning into the Lord means that we're pushing into him. We are leaning on him. We're leaning to understand him. It would be easy to run from our mate, from our circumstances, but that's not what God calls us to do, to run from God. He calls us to lean into him, and we need to do that together, sharing that spiritual connection, trusting each other, and believing that we can join together and make a difference. It's amazing the spiritual connection that's made when two people pursue God together praying for a loved one, waiting to see what the answer to a prayer is. Sometimes the waiting's the hardest part, but when you have somebody to wait with you, how awesome is that? When you're constantly going, wow, did God do that today? Still haven't heard an answer yet. Do you know, has he answered you yet? It's an amazing connection that you get with your spouse or your mate or your partner when you have that. So pursuing another one is pursuing a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And I'm not going to talk a lot about that because I'm sure that you all have been taught that many, many times. But it is having quiet time with God. There is no, there is no, um, nothing that replaces having a quiet time with God. When you talk to people that really depend on the Lord and trust in him for their relationship, that's one thing that's always a common denominator is that they have built a relationship with the Lord and they're able to trust him in those times when they feel like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can trust my spouse and the Lord's pouring into them and they know, yeah, you can. So I, I think that it's, it's a key to being able to have the relationship with your spouse is being able to have that relationship with the Lord first. And then it's that my weight is on the Lord, not on my spouse. God did not design our spouse to be the one to carry us. He is the one to carry us. We are to lean into him and trust him. And he's the one that is going to carry the load. It's not our spouse that when, when we think that we want to put all of that weight on our spouse, they're the ones that are supposed to make us happy. They're the ones that are supposed to make everything all right. We're going to be disappointed most of the time because they just can't possibly carry that load. But God can carry the load. He's big enough, and he desires that from us. He wants us to. So for the next one, it's pursuing through the storms. I'm sorry, persevering through the storms. And um, that could be a lot of things. The day-to-day -day stresses are sometimes more difficult to get through than the extreme crisis. 
A lot of you know, you know, my husband and I went through a crisis. Well, we've been through numerous ones, but when our, our um, oldest son was diagnosed with cancer, it was a terrible crisis. But you know what? It was, we were able to come together and persevere and with friends from church and that went through it with us. It was actually a time where we came out of there feeling like we were better people because of what we went through. But you know what? The thing that almost got our marriage was the day-to-day, the little itty-bitty things. And those were the things that were harder to turn over to God, to be honest with you. Because it was almost like that frog boiling in the water. You know, you don't really realize that they're building and building and building until all of a sudden you go, okay, I can't take this anymore. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And so it was getting help to work through that and understand. But sometimes it's those little itty-bitty things. You may think, well, we haven't been through a big crisis. doesn't matter. Sometimes the day-to-day are more difficult to overcome. We tell ourselves, well, it's not that big of a deal. Or, you know, they go through that. Or, you know, it's, oh, we should be able to get through this. Well, sometimes you can't. And you need to be able to persevere through that. And then um, learning to manage conflict, gaining the tools to communicate effectively and get professional help when necessary. So the next one is building life's dreams together. How do you build life's dreams together? I hope you guys are doing this because if you're not, you need to start now. Purpose to dream together. Create life goals and ask God to give you a shared vision for your future. How exciting it is when you can look at your future together and be headed in the right direction. And a lot of people say, well, we have different interests. We're not really, you know, excited about the same things. Well, then you ask the Lord to open those doors for you to be excited about the same thing. It's not going to be everything, but to give you a shared vision so that you're looking at it going, we can We can, um, as we age or get older, our kids get older, we can be headed in the same direction and not in separate directions so that we're looking at that end goal. What what does God want us to do? Where does God want us to be? What's our ministry going to look like? What's our family going to look like? It's all a part of it. It's important. Shared experiences, building fun and adventure into your lives. I hope you're doing that. How many of you are doing that? Having fun. Have fun together. Go out and do I have a friend. Oh, my gosh, they have so much fun. They do so much. And I was going, really, you're doing that? I mean, they go out and, you know, they do segues around Balboa Park. Who does that? You know, they do. <laughs> Why? Just for fun. I mean, they do fun things. They go skydiving together. Okay, I don't really care to skydive. But, you know, I mean, they, they, they're not just really adventure seekers, but they realized that they didn't have a lot of family time. So they started saying, okay. We've got adult children. What can we do? What fun things can we do and what can we create in order to create those memories so that when you're sitting around, you've got those shared memories of vacations and fun things that you've done with your kids. I mean, if you sit with your kids and talk about the neat things that you've done, those memories are the things that stand out to them, those fun, exciting things that they've done. Accept and engage in each other's interests. Well, I don't, I don't really like to fly. My husband's becoming a pilot, and I'm like, ugh, don't really like to fly in little planes. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to. I'm going to learn to love it. 
I'm going to learn to love it. And there's things that he does for me just because he knows it's important to me. And what's interesting is, as we choose to do those things for each other, we begin to like them more. Not because we really like them, but because the other person likes them. Remember, it's not necessarily about what we like and what we want to do, but it's about what can we do for our spouse? What can we do for our mate? How can we build that connection? How can we build that life memory? That's what we're doing here. It's fun. It's really fun when you start doing it. Okay, his interests become mine and mine become his. Creating shared meaning. This is a term that Dr. John Gottman, I'm going to put my glasses on because I'm going to read a thing. But Dr. John Gottman, um, who is a leading marriage and parenting researcher, um, wrote for the Sound Relationship House Theory. And he, he states the term created shared meaning. And what he says is that people either intentionally create or do not create a, sh a sense of shared meaning in their life together. A relationship involves building a life together. This life is full of meaning, and the way the couple moves through time together and how they prioritize their time and their resources in the stories they tell one another about their lives, their ancestors, their culture, their beliefs, and their legacy, and the way they decide to have things and events in their lives have meaning. They create this system called shared meaning. It's pretty cool. That's what we want to be doing. That's what we want to be creating is a shared memory. And then lastly, developing emotional connection and intimacy. Understanding how your spouse seeks connection and expresses emotional needs and deciding to embrace it. Now, I want to add there, if it's a healthy way that they express that. <laughs> if it's not, get a little help. <laughs> get some help together. But if it is, if it's just different from you, and you think, oh, I can't really relate to that, you know what? Embrace it. You'll learn and you'll grow from it. It may not be the way you express it, but embrace the way they express it. Seek to understand. That's communication. Seeking to understand your spouse. The five love languages comes to mind. You know, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with that, the five love languages. Seek and find out. If you don't, there's, there's a great book called The Five Love Languages. And find out what your mate's love language is. Speak to them. What speaks love to them? How do they interpret love? Find out what's important to them, what means to them. And they're going to respond so much greater to you when you're understanding and you desire to know what speaks love to them. Okay, creating opportunities for intimacy. We all know it does not just happen. And I'm not obviously talking just about sex. I'm talking about real intimacy. What we're talking about here is intimacy. You have to create it. We're busy. We have lead busy lives. So we have to create that time together. Whether you schedule it in, I hate that thought, but whether you schedule it in or you grab a little bit of time when you can. One of the things my husband and I always loved to do from the times our kids was little is when we would have dinner, we would sit after dinner, and the kids were pretty happy at that point, and they'd get up and go play, and we would sit there sometimes for 15 minutes 
Sometimes it was for an hour and a half, and we'd just sit there and talk just kind of talk about what was going on with our lives, what was going on with the kids, what was happening at work. And what's interesting that we found over the last 27 years is our kids now, when they're home, because they're all three gone, but when they're home, we sit around the dinner table, sometimes for hours, have amazing conversations with them, because they remember that's something that we kind of created, something that we kind of did, and they love that time. They love that time together. Now, there was a time in between there where they were busy and we had soccer and plays and we were doing all kinds of other stuff. We didn't have time to do that, but we grabbed it when we could. But they still remember those special times and they enjoy that. They enjoy it a lot. Um, Okay, creating opportunities. I'm sorry, I lost my place. Creating opportunities for intimacy. And then putting your feelings and experiences into words. This is powerful. It really is. One of the things that we do a lot in therapy is have people either journal or write letters. But I'll tell you, letters of affirmation is a wonderful tool. And I say letters of affirmation because, you know, we want to affirm our spouses or even our children. But it takes a lot of thought to sit down and write something. It's easy to just tell somebody what you're thinking. But when you sit down and write it, you're kind of more accountable to the words that you write. And one of the things that we've done over the years with our, with our kids and actually with each other is my husband's gone to this camp. And they do these affirmation letters. And so when he went, I would have friends of his write letters of affirmation to him. And then he would receive them up there. And it's amazing how powerful it is to see written down what other people think about you, what they believe in you, what they value in you, what they admire about you. It's really powerful. And so to do that for each other, that's a gift. Whether you do it, you can do it for a birthday. You can choose to do it with your kids on an anniversary. I mean, a a birthday for them. But you can also choose to do it as an anniversary present. For, for your spouse. Maybe each anniversary you're going to choose to, to write a letter of affirmation over the last year and really think about what you're, what you're wanting to, um, to communicate to that person. And then sharing about what brings you pain and sadness as well as love and happiness. You know, this is difficult for a lot of people. It's easy to share the happiness part, But sometimes it's really hard to share the pain part. And sometimes, depending upon the the background that you grew up with, it's even more difficult. My sister was telling me, a lot of you know my brother-in-law, Ronnie. My sister was telling me that she's been married 27 years also. And she had, Ron had this little green, she calls it a little green, ugly (laughs) um, football player had an ugly face on it. It was just a little toy. And she never really thought that much about it, but it followed them. They've moved a lot. It has followed them wherever they've gone. And sometimes she'd see it on his desk, and sometimes she'd see it on his dresser, and sometimes she'd see it on the, the bookcase, and she thought, what the heck is this? You know, she just thought it was kind of silly. And she, lots of times she wanted to throw it away because she really couldn't stand it. But she goes, well, I don't know why it's there. So a couple years ago, it fell and broke. And she was going to throw it away. And she thought, you know... Ron's carried this around for 25 years. I better find out why he's got it and see if he wants to keep it, even though it's broken. And he was devastated. He was devastated. And she thought, 
you know, and she asked him, she goes, you know, why does it have so much meaning for you? Now, Mary and Ron have an amazing relationship. They're definitely soulmates. But something he had never shared with her was that toy was given to him. One Christmas when he was homeless and his grandma took him down to the rescue mission. And that was the only toy he got that year. Now the thing about Ron that's really as incredible is Ron's an amazing athlete and he's got tons of awards. He even played for the Chargers for a couple years. And all those awards have been packed up over the years. But the one thing he kept was that little green toy because that reminded him of where he came from. He never was able to share with her that deep pain that he had of where it came from. And I just think, you know, we don't know about things about our spouse. Hopefully we know a lot. Hopefully we're able to be vulnerable and share. But sometimes there might be something there that we don't know, we didn't know about. So I think, you know, giving grace and understanding that. And then being vulnerable, expressing how you feel about each other. After an argument, looking at the deeper feelings behind the argument or disagreeing and being willing to explore them with your spouse. Being able to look at the primary emotions behind the anger. Because if you're not able to look at the primary emotions and understand why you're angry, you're going to keep going back and having the exact same expectations and you're going to continue to be disappointed over and over again. If you're able to look at what's causing that anger, fear, frustration, hurt, then you're going to be able to address it and change those expectations for a better outcome. That's what we want. That's what's going to help us to grow, to have this soulmate tie. And then the next slide. I know you men wanted me to say this. <laughs> and it's true. Intimacy, sex is a big part of our relationships. And it's an important thing for us to remember to bond us together. I don't know, you know, if, if you go a period of time without an intimate relationship, you feel it, you feel it. And when, you, when you're back in the swing of things and you're having that relationship, it's amazing how God just brings you together. That's what he did not designed it for. An attachment that we have to our spouse that helps us to grow and to love and to nurture and desire to be with that person. But it's all of these together that really, I believe, helps us to, to create a soulmate tie with our loved ones. So thank you. I hope that gives us a place to start with in our discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you. A great start. As we uh, join Gary, please, thank you for being here. Join us. Thank you so very much, Kathy Rich. goes back to being transparent. What is a soulmate tie? Being transparent and healthily vulnerable to one's mate so that full and complete trust exists between the couple. You're talking about affirmation and thinking we have two questions. So as you have questions, please raise them in the air. We'll bring them to the front. And this first question relates to the affirmation of which you spoke, that is affirmation of your mate. What happens, though, if your soulmate 
is an introvert and you're an extrovert? This is a question perhaps that's arising out of a class this last Sunday with the two become one class here on campus and there are many people here who are a part of that class. And so the question is, well, thank you. We've got about 20 cards here now, so we've got lots of questions real quick. And that is, what do we do when our mate is perhaps more extroverted and I'm more introverted, they're saying? What do we do? How do you affirm that when it may be very agitating? It may be creating a problem for you as a couple. Let's start there because I think it's very, very powerful to think that before marriage, opposites tend to attract, and after marriage, we've all heard this before, that opposites can tend to attack, attack what they were first, uh, really, they were first attracted to. How would you respond to that? Well, Kathy's going to be a hard act to follow. That was a, that was a good talk. Yes. <laughs> that yes. Was one of the best I've heard. <laughs> uh, I think that, you know, extrovert, introvert. Um, I believe that often that, you know, yeah, opposite attract. I think that, you know, most, I believe that God often brings people together to heal them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if we approach it that, you know, that that really is God's will that this is not a mistake that you are married to an extrovert or, you know, an introvert, you know, have to accept, I think, you know, starting off, a good place to start would be to accept that that really is God's will for you in your life. Maybe there's a balance, you know, in working on that and being, you know, being willing to grow in both directions to some degree and your mate, your, your spouse can really help you with that. You know, watching how somebody acts, you know, as an extrovert, introvert, but also understanding what the differences are. You know, how, you know what, is an, what is an extrovert or an introvert? I'm probably more of an introvert. People, you know, often laugh when I say that, but the truth is I really am more of an introvert. Mm-hmm. You know, I go to a party, I'd much rather be in a conversation with someone, you know, on some deeper level, you know, really, you know, getting to know someone at, at you know, some real deep level, you know, and having that conversation while everyone else is talking about who made the icing for the cake. I can give that about, you know, three or four seconds and I'm bored, you know. And so my <laughs> wife has learned that about me, you know, that, you know, I'm probably going to be off over here doing something, you know, more in, in, in terms of having a discussion. Well, she's probably going to be more in terms of, you know, talking about the cake or who brought this or who brought that or how the furniture looks or whatever. And we've just learned to compliment each other with that because she can, you know, she's learned, you know, that I am an introvert. So she has come to understand that there's times that she'll come over and, just gently let me know that you really kind of need to join the rest of us now. (laughs) And I'll go, okay. I would just add to that, that my husband and I both, I think, started off, he was a little bit more of an introvert and I was a little bit more of an extrovert. And um, what we say now is we've both learned to appreciate, not only appreciate about each other, but I have learned the value of an introvert. There's incredible value. And he's learned the value of an extrovert. And what we've learned from each other has strengthened our marriage, but it's also made us better people individually. So how do we go about learning how to do that? How do we take this quantum leap from you and your husband's 
marriage at the beginning and then developing along the way and may have, may have come very quickly for you as a couple, but what are some steps to take for one to value and respect and see that value that may be irritating? Like this next question, my wife laments that we aren't more alike. Do I have to change to be more like her? What do we do? What are those steps to appreciate that, to value it? When it may not be a natural response, it may be somewhat counterintuitive. What do we do? Um, I think that there, there are a lot of times when we are very different. We're just, we're just naturally, you know, different on a lot of levels. And when I see couples who have um, personality differences, they, they're really concerned and think, is this a deal breaker? And, um, and I don't see it that way at all. I see it as an opportunity to learn something new about, about your spouse. And one of the ways um, that I have couples um, learn about their uniqueness, which is the way I like to term it, is that you know, you're unique and um, this is an opportunity for you to learn, um, is to you remember when you're in that dating phase and you're, uh, you're asking a lot about the other person, you know, what they like, what they don't like, what's their favorite color, what's their favorite, you know. And you ask that while you're dating and then you stop asking that as you, once you get married. And um, the interesting thing is that we're dynamic people. We're constantly changing and growing. And so our likes and dislikes change and grow too. And we need to keep asking those questions. We need to keep updating and keeping current with our spouse and understanding the differences and that it's, it's okay to be different. It's okay to have a difference and learn to appreciate that difference. Um, sometimes that can be very attractive to, um, it stretches us out of, our, out of our comfort zone. Sometimes it challenges our own, uh, what we feel is, um, what we like, what we don't like. It's, it's good to have that challenge. Okay. This, this uh, next question relates to this. It says, what steps does a husband take to build respect into a relationship when dealing with a highly independent wife who reserves the right to refuse any of his suggestions? For example, I'm here alone tonight. Okay, don't look around at this point. Some of you are tempted to do so. But here's the question again, which ties in, Debbie, what you were saying about how to take these steps. And Gary, as you mentioned, and so did Kathy, about one's mate, how you might find yourself early on responding differently to social settings or to your children, this type of thing. But what steps does a husband take to build respect into a relationship when dealing with a highly independent wife who reserves the right to refuse any of his suggestions. For example, I'm here alone tonight. Um, what would you do? What would you say to them? I think one way um, that's important is, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the book Love and Respect. And I think one important way is to be able to really express love to her. I know that when I feel loved and when my husband expresses love to me, I want to respect him and I want to, um, to, to just respond differently to him. And I think it goes the other way around too. So I think when one of the things would be to, to be able to really express to them 
your love and appreciation for them. And that's a place to start as far as maybe them being able to say, well, gosh, they're doing this for me. You know, what can I do for them? I may, again, you know, as we talked about earlier, I, I may not want to do that, but what's their best interest? What's going to help my spouse? And so if we can look at what's best for them or what they desire and be able to, to kind of um, meet them at that place, they're going to be more likely to, to um, reciprocate that, I think. Let's pick up on that concept of affirmation then for just a moment. And you're talking about ways to, find ways to show appreciation. What if someone says, which all four of us here have heard people come in and when you say, what do you appreciate in your mate? And there's a pause. And the person goes, I can't think of one. They really cannot know. I can't think of one. When there are many, but it's reached a, lay, a level or a stage in which the person's unable to really think of some affirmation word or word of appreciation. Take us, let's ratchet it down or ratchet it back, if you will. What are some steps? Like, what are things we can appreciate in our mate if we're finding that difficult? How would you even begin to find uh, things to appreciate in your mate? What would that be? Sometimes it's very simple things. It's they go to work. They're mm. helping to support you. Sometimes they're there in the house. Sometimes they're in counseling with you. If, you know, a lot of times I have spouses say, well, you know, he's da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, he's here. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's a plus. So sometimes it's really, like you say, looking at the simple, basic things of what they do. And I know um, one time, well, uh, numerous times I've had spouses actually keep a list on their medicine cabinet door of what I appreciate about you today. Mm. Sometimes you have to do it on a day. Okay, so today I appreciated that you brushed your teeth. You know, it sounds so simple, but the more you start to look at those positive things, the mm -hmm. easier they're going to be to find. So it's looking at a very primary level and, mm -hmm. and building on that and letting them know what you appreciate about them. So it, it may be something really simple. Maybe they did something simple like picked up groceries at the grocery store. There, there's things that we, there's always something positive that we can find, I believe. Maybe not, but for the most part, there's something positive that we can find. One thing I do with couples when they come in, and it's certainly they say this, that, you know, I'm having a really hard time finding anything that I appreciate about uh, him or her. And I always like to take, at that point, um, take them back to the beginning. Um, tell me what things were like when things were going well, when you were first together. What did you, what did you like? What did you appreciate about him or her at that point? And what, what is it that you're not seeing now? And usually what I hear from couples is that, well, I really appreciated when he did such and such, but he stopped doing that. Mm -hmm. Or he'll say, I really appreciated when she used to, and she's not doing that anymore. Somewhere along the way, we stop doing those things that our spouses appreciate. And so that's an opportunity to take a look at ourselves and, you know, and question, why have we stopped doing those things? And then it's an important step is to maybe start doing those things again that they appreciate. And it's just, it's amazing when you take the initiative, when you make that first step, your spouse is going to take the next step. 
and it just builds one on top of the other. Why is it so vulnerable? Why do we feel vulnerable to take that first step? Because I totally agree with you. So many couples will say, I just really difficult to take that first step. I feel really vulnerable. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to put me down. They're, they're not going to receive what I try to do. How do you talk to someone who faces that? Well, that's, that's just it. That's the reason they do feel vulnerable is that fear of you know, being rejected or denied in mm -hmm. that. And I think a lot of times, you know, all that really, really requires for someone to, you know, often to be able to start taking that step is just some sort of support. You know, most of the things that I, you know, I feared the most in my life in doing and taking this step in doing because I'm facing either rejection or failure or whatever is as long as I've got some support, you know, someone that knows that this is what I'm doing, you know, it makes it so much easier. We always attempt to, you know, we do so much of this stuff, we attempt to do it just so much on our own. We don't think that, you know, a lot of times it's as easy as just asking for help, you know. I, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for, you know, the friends I have in my life where I can, you know, call them and say, you know, listen, this is what I'm planning, this is what I'm, you know, really, you know, fearing about this, this is what I'm anticipating. I just need for you to know that this is what's going on, you know. And that just makes, a, you know, it, makes it a lot easier for me. Excellent. One person said this, some ideas about how to show affirmation, how to support your mate. Something my husband and I do at different times is to leave little post-it notes in fun places. He has put notes uh, in my car, my sewing room, in my closet mirror. I've left notes for him in his lunchbox, the refrigerator, just fun stuff like, I love you, I desire you, let's make love, you make me happy. These are some statements that were made. And then somebody did raise this question that is not quite as serious as what I just shared, but what do you do if your soulmate always has gas and he thinks it's funny, but it's not? What do you do? Now, quite frankly, I've talked with many couples. This is not just one person that's, that's requesting this question, but what do you do if your soulmate always has gas and he thinks it's funny, but it's not. Please don't tell Pastor Jim, please don't tell Pastor Jim that we had sex, sex, sex on the screen and we're talking about gas. So what do you do with this if they think it's funny? And truly, there's a little humor in this, but there are many people who are quite agitated and frustrated at the disrespect that this brings. So what do you do? I really try to draw some sort of visual picture of what that's really like, you know, and really try to bring that across, that that is something that really does disgust me, you know, trying to really give a very visual picture of how it really affects. You know, it's that, that whole concept of, you know, like, you know, whoever's doing this, you know, off to them it's just I'm tossing a little pebble out into the, you know, out into the water and it doesn't mean anything. But the reality is, you're dropping a daggone boulder on my head every time you do that. Mm. You know? And every time you drop the boulder on my head, it, is a, it really is difficult for me to get back up and want to be around you. And, you know, and so it's really, you know, drawing some sort of word picture that really can describe the way that it, you know, mm -hmm. is affecting, in fact. Good, good. Yes. Okay, we only need one response to that. Okay, that's good. All right. I just... Gary, you're the introvert, so you should take on those kinds of issues. 
What I'd like to ask is, as we're moving along, if you do have a response, the audience, if you just raise your hand, we will bring a mic around if you would like to integrate. This is a new concept um, for this big auditorium. We've done this often in our other auditorium, and it, it seemed like it might work a little more readily there. However, we're, we're prepared for you to interact if you would like in questions. But we'll move, we'll move past this gas question onto something a little more in depth here if we can. But this, this particular question says, I've asked my wife to buy wigs, change her look to maybe resemble another person of a different culture. Is this a healthy request? It's a very, very intriguing question. I have asked, I've never heard this question before, so this is rather new to me, and I looked at the therapist to my left. They look like I have how I felt. I have asked my wife, and it's a question. I have, that's why we're doing this kind of work. I have asked my wife to buy, to buy wigs, change her look to maybe resemble another person of a different culture. Is this a healthy request? I, Go ahead. I, I, I think it can be. It depends on the relationship. I, you know, I think that in you know, a relationship is both people are in agreement to any, anything of that nature. It can be healthy and it can be okay. Role-playing is something that a lot of people, you know, find enjoyable and they want to participate in. I don't necessarily find anything all that wrong with that, as long as it's, you know, really mutually agreed on and, and you know, and they're participating in it and it's, and it's at a fun level. And so I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but I think you have to definitely check out the feelings, you know, you know what, what really is the motivation behind it, really looking at that. You know, and asking some, you know, I think some tough questions, you know, on a personal level of what really is that mo the motivation behind that, and being willing to share that motivation and those, you know, desires with your mate. And mutually agreed upon is, I think, the core statement here. If we can uh, delve into that for just a moment, when we talk about soulmate, there needs to be a sense that there's mutually, deeply mutually agreed upon responses from both persons. So I, I really appreciated you bringing that out. Could we respond to that for just a moment? Oftentimes we believe it's mutually agreed upon, but we've not in depth checked that out with our mate. And they, for whatever reason, have acquiesced and given in, or they just pacify you or do a number of things that really deteriorates and tears at the very fabric of a soulmate relationship. I, in that kind of a situation, I would be curious to know how she feels about that. And I would encourage you to check that out with her. How does that make her feel about her uh, when she's in your presence? Does that make her feel good about herself or does that make her feel like she's not good enough mm. that, she, that you would prefer someone else? So it is really important to know if it is mutually agreed upon because sometimes it may not be. And, uh, you know, and then that would leave the wife feeling less than. Which is affirmation. Affirmation is encouraging self-esteem, mm -hmm. self-worth, who I am, right. made in the image of God. So that's a great way to approach that. And it can be, it can be mutually agreed on, and if it's not diminishing, and like I said, if it's really in a playful, fun, you know, that's what we're doing. We're having fun. We're playing. Mm -hmm. which, Kathy, you talked about, which is very important. It's one of the first things that couples do when they date or first courting, and it's one of the first things to go away. It's one of the first things to be lost 
is that playful spirit, which leads us into this question. Will you explain how important is date night? This is a great question. We talk about it. We preach about it. We encourage people within not just the Christian community, but with, with even in the, the secular world that date night is incredibly important. Speak to us and maybe give example. It says, and give an example if money is an issue. Will you explain how important is date night? I think date night is super important. I'm not saying that we were great at it always, but I think it's absolutely important. And it's one of those things where I think most people have to schedule it in. You have to purpose to make it happen. Otherwise, life gets away from you. And before you know it, it's been a month and you haven't really spent any time together. Um, if you need a babysitter, if you have a, another couple or two that you can swap babysitting with, so you're not having that extra expense if money's an issue, I think that's, that's a good thing to, to remember that you can do. Um, but having that time together alone, just the two of you, whatever it is that you want to do. Now, I mean, it might be going to the movie. Hopefully, hopefully that's not all the time because that's not really communicating. But that might be a part of it. But doing something where you're engaging each other, creating a memory, you're spending time just talking and enjoying each other's company, or maybe having a spiritual conversation with the other person. That's fun to do. I have, I think, a great date night. Actually, I learned this from my son, and I went, that's the coolest date ever. I never did a date like that. And I think this is a great thing to do. Him and his girlfriend went to a bookstore, like Barnes & Noble, Borders, I don't know which one it was, and they started in the children's section, and they each picked a book that represented the other person, and then they came back and had to read it to each other. So he picked the giving tree for her, and she picked this other book that whatever he touched, it turned to color. Hmm. Then they went to the food section, and they picked what, what food kind or whatever would you want to share with me or make for me. And then they went to the travel section. What would be a place that we would want to go together or you would want to show me? And I mean, and they just went through the entire bookstore that way. And it was an amazing way to find out about each other, for one, but to just be able to share dreams, maybe. Maybe having a dream of this, I'd love to take you to Paris, or I'd love to take you here. And just really the conversation that opened. I just think it's a great date night for, for people. But yeah, absolutely, date nights are super, super important. And if you don't purpose to make it happen, it's probably not going to happen. I never had date nights. It was more date days, you know, afternoon, <laughs> that sort of thing. Night never worked for us very well because we had kids, you know. <laughs> and we had it really pretty easy because, you know, my mother-in-law lives with us, so we could leave anytime we wanted. Now that the kids are older, we have stay-home nights, and we make the, them leave. <laughs> Go. <laughs> we just want to be home alone. <laughs> so... That's great, because that sounds like a strong introvert, by the way. You want to stay home. So, and, uh, Can I interrupt for just yes. a second? I think another thing that's very important that I do suggest with my clients that can, even if it's a one night away in San Diego, but somewhere away from the house, I think it is mm -hmm. so healthy to be able to get out of the house, spend a night away somewhere, enjoy the evening, spend the night, wake up, go for a walk, whatever it is you want to do. One night you can get 
a great deal on some of these last night travel things, mm -hmm. but it's like just being away from the house is, there's just something wonderful about it. You feel like you've been on a little vacation. Talk to us a little bit about that. When we're at home, we have bills to pay. There's always something to repair. There's something Lights needing to be done. Backyard. Yes. Is that okay? Sorry. Okay. okay. Let's move on to the next question. But um, can you give examples? Actually, it leads us back to what we were discussing. I was hoping it would. Can you give specific examples of how to create shared meaning in your marriage and family? Let me go back to really that question because I don't think we really have thought about or take time necessarily to think about why do we need to remove ourselves from our home, our apartment, whatever it may be, our home of residence, to have a date night. I'm not dispelling or discouraging, Gary, you and your wife, because you have the perfect marriage, so we, we know that, and uh, so I don't want to discourage that, but what happens to us when we're at home? Why, why do we need to maybe be in another place? What, what takes place? Uh, speaking personally, um, a lot of distractions. Okay. There's a lot of distractions. We're so familiar with, you know, our home environment, and we're so comfortable in it. And, you know, the bills are over here, the, the pets are running around, the, you know, there's just a ton of stuff that can be a distraction. The TV's on, the radio's on, you know, all this. And to be able to get away from the comfort of our environment and for it to just be the two of us together, out, um, and in terms of finances, it can, I, I'd love to create with couples how to have dates without spending a lot of money. And uh, one of the best ones that, um, that I've ever been on is that uh, just made a, a picnic and we made our meals and then went down uh, at sunset, set up a blanket on the beach, lit some candles, and just sat there and ate. And we were just, it was, it was one of the best dates. We both agree to this day. Um, just because it was, it was quiet, it was, it was romantic, it was the sunset, you know, and it was just time for us to connect together. It was just the two of us. And so um, you don't have to spend money. You don't have to spend money. There are a thousand ways to have a date in San Diego without spending money. Yeah. See, I was thinking that the distractions were when, when we go out. Yes. You know, you know, they're trying to sell you stuff. You, know, uh -huh. you have to read the menu. I mean, it's like, you know. I'm always learning from you, Gary. bring it out. Yes. You have to order it. You know? I'm always learning from you. You view things very differently than I do, but I, I'm, I think I'm getting what you're saying. Gary and I tease each other constantly. Um, so thank you. That's, it's a really good point. I think the point you're making, when you have an extrovert and introvert, in the home, one is going to be going like, wow, I can just relax and I'm just going to forget everything. And the other is going, we've got this to do. We need to do this. So it makes sense. That's a beautiful story. Again, we're not devoiding you here. You're still part of this, Gary. But with Debbie, what you just said makes really good sense about this. Now, Gary and I have a good relationship, so I can tease him. I it's hope everybody can... struggle with rejection. Yes, yes. He's helping me with this. I will affirm you later, but not tonight. But anyway... Let's, let's go back to this if we can. Another question, we're moving. We have just a few minutes left, about a little less than 10 minutes, and I want to move to some of the questions. There's three here that really relate to each other, and they're a little more, in, when I say in depth, because they relate to the history of the person. This one says, I have intense childhood pain that manifests 
into our marriage. My spouse does not like confrontation. How can I fight fair and at the same time heal my spouse? Heal with my spouse, excuse me. Let me read that again. We can move right into our therapist here. I, I have intense childhood pain that manifests into our marriage. My spouse does not like confrontation. How can I fight fair and at the same time heal with my spouse? Debbie? Um, I think that for this particular issue, this sounds like a, a perfect time to seek professional help. Um, this is not, it, when you're talking about childhood wounds and, and pain from the past, um, a lot of times we try to work that out with our spouse or through our spouse. And oftentimes our spouse has no idea, no idea what is really going on with you and doesn't understand the depth to what, what you've experienced in your life, why it's coming out, what's a trigger, what he or she may be doing that triggers you, triggers a response. Um, and so with professional help, you can learn how to uh, deal with the childhood stuff and be able to invite him or her into the process of the healing, not through fighting, but through helping you work through some of the stuff so that it doesn't have to be a fight. Okay. Can you give us an idea? I know you're a trauma specialist. Uh, what are some things that would tell a person that, that they are locked into something that they cannot work through with their mate just on their own? What would be some example of that? So they could get a, a sense of what that would be like. What would they be experiencing that would tell them that? Well, probably there would be an intense emotional response to something that there's really not, um, that exceeds the situation. If you're having extreme anger or hurt or um, upset about something that your spouse does, that it exceeds the level of what, whatever it is he or she is doing, then there's probably a deeper wound that's going on inside of you. And so the other, the other thing, too, is that if you are having any kind of flashbacks at all to anything from childhood, um, that's a pretty good indication that there's, there's trauma on some level. And so that's not something, if it's, if it's traumatic, that is not something that you're just going to be able to will yourself out of. That is something that you do need professional help to deal with. Um, spouses are not equipped to know how to help they, they haven't gone through the training to understand how it is to heal trauma. So um, those are some of the things that you can be watching for to know. Confrontation, you know, too, somebody was talking about confrontation. And I don't think of confrontation so much as conflict. Hmm. I think of confrontation as bringing awareness. You know, it can be something like as simple as your shirt's unbuttoned, you know, would be a confrontation. It's just bringing awareness to something there. And I agree with, you know, that, that if, yeah, there's childhood wounds and trauma, you know, going on. And, you, and like was just said, and I just wanted to dovetail, somebody, you know, giving, you're, you're giving a, a $50 response to a $10 stimulus, you know that there's something more going on. And a lot of times just, you know, having a couple come in that, you know, one spouse is experiencing that trauma, helping the other under, you know, get some idea, some general idea of what they may be actually experiencing. I was just working with that, you know, before I came down here. And 
I was trying to help him understand that when you do this, it triggers her in this way. And the reason it triggers her in this way, and you know, kind of explaining that, but he didn't understand. And so I'm trying to give a word picture. Again, I, I asked him, have you ever been like almost hit by a car or startled in such a way where your adrenaline just shot right straight through your system and you were paralyzed? I said, she lives in that almost all the time. Hmm. You know? And he's like, whoa, that helps. Hmm. That gives me an idea. That has to be painful. Hmm. So, you know, it's just, you know, creating, you know, getting an understanding of what trauma really is. And if, what a flashback is, is that experience that whatever the trauma is, you get triggered or, you know, something goes on, you, you have that flashback. It's the same as whatever occurred is actually occurring right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and really it, what it is, it's a, it's a time, kind of like a time relationship disorder. You know, not able to really recognize that what's really occurring, you know, emotionally and physiologically is the result of something that happened back here. It actually feels like it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, just kind of an understanding of what a flashback is. Thank you. That, I mean, it's very helpful. I, I know I was teasing Gary. Forgive me. I, I wasn't trying to embarrass you a few moments ago. We tease each other quite frequently, but that's, that's really a beautiful example, both you and Debbie, of helping us to understand that. One last question here this evening before we are going to end. At times, motives. This is a, a different question from which we've been discussing, and yet a very, very powerful question. At times, motives need to be questioned. People aren't always functioning with honorable motives. How would you su- suggest a spouse question another's motives? It's a very good question. Let me raise that again. So at times, and so what it's asking, of course, is that we're not sure about the motives. The motives may be hidden or the motives may be really not helpful and may be selfish or even sinful, perhaps. But at times, motives need to be questioned. People aren't always functioning with honorable motives. How would you suggest a spouse question another's motives? I think by, you know, one of the places where I would start with that is definitely beginning to talk to someone about that, someone that you really do trust, that you can really begin to talk about that. We are taught, most of the time, particularly in the Christian community, this pedagogy of always believing the best of everyone. Mm. And sometimes that is just not a good idea, you know, know, because a lot of times people really do have malicious motives. They are doing things very subtly to truly, you know, be hurtful, to truly try to, you know, be damaging. Mm -hmm. But we never suspect that. That is just not something that we're, you know, (coughs) taught to, you know, suspect very often. And so, you know, the best way, I think, of really, you know, because most of the time that stuff's going to be so subtle that you're not going to really be able to get it together all intellectually, you know, because a lot of it can be so incredibly, evil is always in its subtlety, you know, and so a lot of times it's really difficult to get that on an intellectual basis, but what doesn't lie is how it felt. Mm. If it felt really hurtful, if it felt really cutting, if it felt really degrading, then it probably was. Mm -hmm. The consistency of that is also a big thing. You know, we all have a tendency once in a while to step on someone's toes, and a lot of times it really is accidental. 
But if it's something that's happening, you know, if I, if I just keep on stepping on Don's toe, you know, you know, and every time he says, ouch, and I come back and do it, there's a consistency there. And so there is, a, you know, some real intentionality on my part, you know, to, I don't like his toes. <laughs> Hard to follow that up. Yes, it is. Um, you know, from the, from the other side of it, too, though, is that sometimes when we are um, questioning our spouse's motives, it's, it can be an assumption. We just assume that they have a, a wrong motive. And so what I help couples with when I work with them is I'm big on having them, part of their homework is, okay, become aware of your assumptions when something happens. Mm and to check it out with the other person. If you're assuming that they're doing something for this particular motive, check it out with them, ask them. Mm -hmm. I have the feeling that you're doing A, B, or C because of, and whatever it is. Is that, am I accurate at that? Because if that's the case, you know, I'm, I'm feeling hurt around that. If not, help me, help me understand. So one of the big things um, I think is really important is to check out the assumptions if you're, you know, when you're dealing with motives. Thank you. The Thank struggle you. with that is if it really is passive-aggressive. Right. Because exactly. if it really is passive-aggressive, the problem with that is you can't track it back. You can't prove it. You know, the, the right. statement can always be said, well, I was just joking, you know. Yes. <laughs> or you're, you know, you misunderstood me. And that's really a difficult thing to do. And then it's the responsibility of the person to say, well, this is how I felt in that yes. moment. And, and so... They can, they can make an, you know, acknowledge that at least. And then to affirm it. We need to affirm that what you're experiencing is your experience. Right. This has been a marvelous... Uh, that's why I say that your feelings don't necessarily... Don't lie. They don't lie. Yeah. Your feelings are... That's what you're experiencing. Yeah. Now, your, your, your feeling is real. It not, it, you know, it's just said, it, it isn't necessarily valid, but the feeling is real. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, would you join me in thanking our panel members for their presentation this evening? Um, I, I'm always so deeply proud of the work that our therapists do, and I'm the privileged one to, to have these as colleagues and to work with them, and so appreciate you coming this evening with just fabulous presentation. If you'll notice, our next presentation a month from now will be uh, managing your mate's bad habits. We may even go back to that particular question that I'm not even sure how to respond. If I say anything, it'll ignite something here. So anyway, managing your mate's bad habits on May, on May 2nd, 645 to 8 p.m. We hope that you would invite others to, to join us and hopefully this was meaningful to you. The Lord spoke to each of us independent of one another as we were working here tonight. We honor him. This is his church. We are his people. Uh, we're doing his work together. So thank you. May I have a word of prayer? And then we are concluding for this evening. Father, thank you for these precious people that are here. You look into each of us with such gentleness, such affirmation, such care, such love, such, such deep motivation to truly affirm us that we cannot even believe it's so true, and we're so thankful that it is. Bless them, guide, as we leave here tonight, and we know that you've changed our hearts for the good in remarkable and unique ways because of the precious, powerful 
Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. God bless you, and I hope that it's a very good evening for you. Heart and soul, I fell in love with you. Heart and soul, the way a fool would do madly. Because you held me tight and stole a kiss in a night, heart and